Hey, church friends, we would like to take a moment to thank you for listening to the show. We really do appreciate every single one of you. And really, if you have any questions, if you need prayer, if you just want to share your thoughts or what your favorite topic was that we covered, please, please feel free to email us at yourchurchfriends at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Chris will read that email and let me know what it says. <laughs> also, if you enjoyed the show, please do the following to help us out. Follow or subscribe to whichever podcasting platform you listen to, and then share it with your family, your friends, and the people who attend your church. And really, all this stuff is run by algorithms, so you doing those simple things really helps get the podcast into more ears. And remember, Your Church Friends Podcast is here to be a resource to you to help you understand God's Word in a more clear and personal way. All so that we can grow closer in our relationship with God. Don't forget to check out our website, yourchurchfriends.rocks. It currently takes you to all of our social media accounts and places where you can listen to each and every episode. The website is yourchurchfriends.rocks because, wait, what was it again? Oh, that was a long time ago. Oh, that's right, because we rocks. Lost. Deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Mirdlich. All right, so what's like the worst New Year's resolution you ever came up with? Do you even do New Year's resolutions? No. No? <laughs> no. Um, I don't do resolutions. What I've done for the past few years is get a one word. So there's like a oh, Bible yeah. plan that you can do. It's called one word. They'll change your life. They'll change your year. I don't know. One word is what I call it. You can look it up on the Bible app. One mm. word. Um, and it gives you like a theme, a theme word kind of. You pray about it. You know, you do some Bible study, but it also goes along. There's a nerdy podcast that I listen to. Is those Apple guys I've told you uh cortex oh yeah 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 and they have a thing called like a theme journal it's some product that they develop and they've been talking about that for a lot of years so between kind of on the secular side being like hey here's a theme system to go by and then getting into this one word that is basically the same thing but christianized uh i really like it because rather than i'm going to hit this specific thing or just really get locked into it's more of well no here's a word and god's just going to grow you in that through the year remember one one year he gave i got the word diligent huh it sucked <laughs> <laughs> it was right like yeah. it definitely was a thing to where if you take it seriously and you pray about it and you keep yeah. it on the forefront and you know as you're planning your week and going about your prayers and, and stuff you will see that like oh this is something that i needed to learn something about so yeah not so much on resolutions um i heard recently that the quickest way to kill somebody's self-confidence is to get them basically agree to do something that they're not going to do. Mm. Get them to say they're going to yeah, do it and they're yeah, not yeah. going to because then you break trust with yourself and then you don't trust yourself. And yeah. then like it's a really bad downward spiral of like self-confidence. So New Year's resolutions are like, I'm going to start the year like this. And then by the time that January ends and everybody's already failed, then for the rest of the year, you're just like, oh. That's probably why so many people have depression nowadays. Yeah, that and... New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to go into the... Uh, what are they called? 
conspiracies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different podcast yeah. that we actually, we need to start that podcast. Probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, for me, I think the dumbest ones I've ever done is like, I'm going to stop drinking soda this year or when it's something that I'm like, like you said, I know I'm not going to do that, but. Uh, usually those stem from like Justine being, you need to be healthier. You need to eat healthier. And I'm like, I am healthy. I could run a mile. A big percentage of people in America can't run a mile in 10 minutes. I feel pretty good about that at age 40. So that's where you're relative to other people. Yeah. I am healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so then I'll be like, fine, I'll do it. And like try to not drink soda. And then I end up caving because it's like one of my guilty pleasures. Like I just like soda. And a, like a Coke with a hamburger or a pizza. Like it just, it seems right. Like the world doesn't seem right without that. Sometimes a Coke is the very appropriate drink for, right? for a meal. Yeah. yeah. There will be times where Delilah and I will just, we'll get something and be like, oh, this needs a Coke. Like, do we have Coke? I'm like, no. I'm like, do I need to go buy Coke right now? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should say Coca Cola. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this book. Zephaniah? Zephaniah? Zephaniah. Ah, oh, dude, I thought Zechariah. Yeah, no, that's the total opposite book. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Zephaniah. Uh, this, to me, when we were talking about like forgotten books of the Bible and not going into like what we would do at the end of the season, the book of Enoch, uh, the Didache, Shepherds of Hermes, um, Zephaniah is the legitimacy of a forgotten book of the Bible. Why do you say that? Because it's just... I forget it's in there. A lot of people, the other ones you could mention, be like, oh, I've heard something from there. But I feel like out of all the ones we covered, this is the most forgotten. Like, this is the book. And we got a question about how forgotten is this book uh, for number six. I mean, we could get into that one right now if you want. I honestly didn't understand that question. Oh, but yeah. For, for Zephaniah, Delilah and I were talking like some political stuff earlier. And I was trying to say, use an illustration. I was like, yeah. So think about one of those states that like you really just forget that's there mm -hmm. i was like even the ones that i'm remembering to use an example not them because i'm remembering one of those things that you really forget exists and i feel like that's Zephaniah. yeah like you're like yeah the forgotten books and you start naming all these ones like no you're remembering those <laughs> 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 Zephaniah. like i said yeah. zechariah like no, no there's another one in there so i spent like the whole last week as i study and prep for uh us recording and getting things together and like we're jumping to question six before we get all of them done I spent the whole time doing it, and then I, I to filter out um, some of the ideas and like, hey, is this actually cool? Does this make sense? Should we talk about this? I go through Justine. So I'm like, hey, we're doing this with Zephaniah. Here's some cool things. And then uh, last night, actually, or the night before, I was telling her something, and she was like, wait, is that in the Bible? Or is this like one of those outside resources that you guys are talking about covering? I was like, no, this is in your Bible. You should have read it at some point in your life. And she was like, oh, yeah, I guess it's in the Bible. And so that's kind of what led me to think about it. And then as I kept doing my studying, it was like, I, I saw one uh, commentary write that Zephaniah wasn't often cited in the early Jewish or Christian literature, and that there are only four verses that, are, uh, that Christian literature uses a lot, and that's Zephaniah 1.1, 2.11, 3.8, and 3.9. But like, other than that, it's not quoted a lot. Or are really often used. And so then, you're saying that the quoting doesn't happen in the New Testament? Yeah. Well, as often as some of the other books. Not that it doesn't happen, but it's just not as often. And then um, 
I looking into more of it. Uh, it's John Christossom. He makes reference to it, uh, but only to Zephaniah 2, 11, 3, 3, and 9 through 10. Uh, but these verses to him, they were important for the Christian vision of the world of mission and unity in the church. And then what's really cool is uh, I saw this. It said Luther, what he thought of um, Zephaniah was that it makes the clearest prophecies about the kingdom of Christ. For him, uh, Zephaniah ruthlessly rejected human righteousness and religion, uh, preparing for the kingdom of Christ. The gathering of the kingdoms of the nations he's seen fulfilled through the spread of the gospel, which is the message of repentance that declares the outpouring of God's wrath. And then at the end of it, it says that, um, but Luther hardly ever used it in any of his messages. Mm-hmm. Like he thought highly of the book, but never really used it. In- so that one time that he read it, he's like, hey, this thing's yeah. awesome. And then he <laughs> forgot about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there is this poem. Uh, it's called The Day of Wrath, and it's like an old medieval one. Mm-hmm. And and I have all the lyrics. I'm not, or the poem Sing itself. It for us. No. It's pull out the really... old medieval liar. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Sing for us, Christopher. That Day of Wrath. <laughs> uh, but it's really, really long, and uh, it pulls from Zephaniah uh, 1, 14 through 18. And this is what I thought was funny, is uh, apparently this was chanted for many centuries in Western churches as part of of requiem masses. And it makes sense that it would be part of Day of Wrath because if there's one thing that Zephaniah is, it's the Day of the Lord. Yes. Like the other ones include different things, but it's like Zephaniah is a very short book that's just here's the Day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And where I was asking you about the reference to the New Testament and just like, oh, whatever those references are, when I think of like New Testament reference of Day of the Lord, you think Revelation, right? Yeah, And I found this thing between Zephaniah and Revelation that it's not quoted, but it follows the same breakdown. Mm. Did you see that? I saw something like that, but I don't know if I have it in my notes. If you have judgment on God's people, and that starts off Zephaniah 1, 1 through 2, 3, and that's Revelation 1 through 3, first three chapters. Then you have judgment on the nations, Zephaniah 2, 4 through 15, Revelation 4 through 19. Then you have the day of judgment, so we're looking at day of the Lord. That's Zephaniah 3, 1 through 8, Revelation 20. You have that happen. And then you have the final bliss that comes in as Zephaniah 3, 9 through 20, and then Revelation 21 and 22. So Zephaniah looking at old Jerusalem, Revelation looking at new Jerusalem. Mm. And when you look in Zephaniah, you have God coming as king and Revelation Jesus coming as king. So just when you're looking at day of the Lord, it follows the same yeah. outline, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and it really is. It, it hits all this. And that's something that I really started noticing, too, is that, like, within itself, it is a study uh, in intertextuality. Like, it shares so many of the ideas, uh, phraseologies with uh, other parts of the Bible, uh, so much so that it looks like it's just a parody that's borrowed verses and illustrations. So I have actually a list, and it, it references uh, from the prophets to the first five books and some of the pro- Psalms and prophets, but it's a list of all the verses and where you could find them in all those other things. Mm, so one, two, I will utterly sweep is Jeremiah 8, 13. Uh, one, three, I will sweep away humans and animals, the birds of the sky, the sea. You can find that in Hosea 4, 3, also in Genesis, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Hush before the Lord, Habakkuk 2, 20. Uh, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, Isaiah 34, 6. Um, I could go into every, almost every chapter, Right. And uh, maybe I'll put this in the show notes because that's a place for it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it hits it, like it has Ezekiel, Micah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Deuteronomy, Amos, 
and it's just bouncing Psalms and Proverbs, and it's using verbiage or words or illustrations or even the verse itself throughout it. And this is what made me, after we got done with it, and we're like, oh, this book isn't really known, that this book is like this hidden treasure, Mm -hmm. that it's almost like it sums up everything, which is really crazy that it ends up being the book that's most known for the day of the Lord. Yeah. Have you seen that graphic? We might have even put it in show notes show notes at one point, but it's the intertextuality of the Bible books and it looks like a giant rainbow. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, we use that one. yeah, yeah. I feel like with everything that you just said, Zephaniah would just be like a burst of lines yeah. coming from it to the rest <laughs> of the Bible. Yeah. That, that's really cool. But yeah, it it really does seem and as we talked about from the beginning, is all these forgotten ones really having that theme of Day of the Lord. But then for this, the most forgotten of them being like, here's the crescendo of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'll save this Genesis part for when we go over Genesis. Yeah. Real quick, just because you were talking about all of those tie-ins with, you know, other scriptures and, you know, how that's used. Um, I know that as people have looked at the book of Zephaniah, it's kind of, how would you say it? At first they were thinking who wrote this book and Mm -hmm. how did this come around? Because it's written really weird. And like, was this a hodgepodge of things being pulled together? And kind of as you go through it, and as scholars have studied through, I don't know enough about it, but as I was studying what they had studied, it's like, no, this is actually like really high level poetic thought coming through this to where it wasn't some random hodgepodge coming together and collecting these things and, and making it work. It was like, no, this is really high level Um, which makes sense because when you look at Zephaniah and who he is, he's kind of like coming from that royal line. And I think we'll Mm -hmm. get into a bit of who Zephaniah is, but just even how it's structured that I didn't catch that it had all of those cross references. So I was like, man, that was really masterful that even as people are looking at it, like, whoa, this is really weird. And then you see it and you're, oh, this is like a masterful poetry. And then it's actually including all of those Mm -hmm. cross references. So it's like, Zephaniah, little book, big punch. Really, I'm blown away, really, when you, when you look at it compared to some of the other books we've covered, is that Zephaniah seemed to have a full grasp of Scripture, mm. just in a way that many people didn't during his time. And even today, like he, the way he takes Scripture from all these places and throws them together to make this cohesive unit statement, it's just, it, it just blew my mind. It, it's really done well. All right, so one of the other we just things, answered so many questions without asking any questions. We did. We didn't ask any of the questions that I we're s- going to do. <laughs> I, I'm enjoying whatever's happening. I haven't said any of them. You know what? We're just going to pop as they go through them, and, and people listening, you're going to have to figure out what the questions were. Uh, one thing I came across, too, before we get into the breakdown and some of the other stuff was uh, Walter Dietrich had the idea of this book of four. Mm-hmm. So he, he had his Hosea, Amos, Micah, and Zephaniah. And again, this goes back to its intertwining with Deuteronomy. And he said, because these books were so closely intertwined with it. Um, and then from the Psalms and the wisdom literature, uh, the term humble the land reverberates Psalms 10, 22, 25, 34, 37, 69, 76, and 144, or 174. And then there's also humbleness and humility. And you can find the same references to those in Proverbs 15, 33, 18, 12, and 22.4. Like we already mentioned, like the book of Joel that we already covered, where we're like, hey, this is the day of the Lord, and we thought we were getting into it. Uh, Zephaniah kind of hits it more. 
uh, and the word day occurs 20 times within his, this short three-chapter book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe never mentions the sins of the nations, uh, while Zephaniah dramatically exposes the sin of Judah and all the other stuff that they go through. One other fun fact, Jeremiah was a contemporary to Zephaniah, so while he's going off and doing his thing, so is Jeremiah, uh, and that the ministries of Zephaniah and Jeremiah, again, this parallel that we've been watching and seeing, in a lot of the books, like this book goes with that one, mm-hmm. uh, their ministries parallel those of Isaiah and Micah a century earlier. So now the breakdown. Uh, we have judgment against Judah. That's Zephaniah 1 through chapter 2, verse 3. This is the sweeping judgment and the announcement of the day of the Lord. Then you have judgment against the nations. That's Zephaniah 2, 4 through 15. And here he refers to the nations. And this, I thought, was one of the cool things. Remember the um, Amos? where we had the counterclock as he went through the nations. It was mm-hmm. counterclockwise. Uh, Zephaniah, all the four nations that he mentions in his book are all points of the compass around Jerusalem. So you have uh, the Philistines, which is to the west, Moab and Ammon to the east, Cush to the south, and then Assyria to the north. And I just thought that was really cool. And, and I read a commentary that said uh, this is to, de- to demonstrate the encompassing nature of God's judgment. It, it just was like, Everything was around them. Their judgment was coming. And then eventually it hits the, like, in the middle that now it's your judgment. Um, When I was in middle school, I had a typing class, like, on a typewriter. So I'm that old that we had a typewriting class. And me and my friends were in the same class, uh, and we were just goofing off so bad. And then the teacher was like, all right, you, go to the office, to the friend behind me. Then we just kept messing around, friend to the left went to the office, friend to the right went to the office, friend in front of me went to the office. And I was like, oh crap, if I keep talking, I'm going to the office and I'm going to get in trouble. So I just, I got quiet and did my work. Uh, but looking at the way he did that as a compass reminded me of that moment in my life that like, you know, if you start noticing the judgment of everything happening around you, pay attention because eventually it might fall into you too. And I see that with Zephaniah, that when you get to the end, because there's all of this layout about judgment, as you mm-hmm. said, like all around, but still it seems like with this day that there's like, hey, but will you repent? Right. You know what I mean? And it sounded like you in your class that you repented, that yeah. you went, oh, judgment <laughs> is going to befall me. Yeah. I don't want that. I'm going to ch- stop what I'm doing and change, right? And it seems like that's what here for as hard as Zephaniah does come with day of the Lord and judgment and coming with all of that. Mm-hmm. Just like every other prophet, there's always that thing of hope and of mercy that's there that God, well, he doesn't, doesn't take joy in the death of the wicked. Like, God doesn't want that. He doesn't desire yeah. that. Yeah. All right. So question number one, who is Zephaniah? Oh, man, I love this question because Zephaniah is the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. <laughs> So it's like, who is he? He's the son of the son of the son of the son of the son of. And he's the only prophet that gets that. Yeah. He has a full pedigree going back to like, what's that? That's his dad, his grandpa, his great grandpa, and then his great, great grandpa, Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. And purposefully so. Yeah, very purposefully. Uh, Name game. We haven't done it in a while. We say that, but we do it every time. I don't think we have. I don't think we did it on John. Yeah. Oh, with like other people in it, right? Like Gaius and... um, what was the other guy's name? We just covered this. We Demetrius. Demetrius. Diotrephes. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about their names? Yeah, we did. Okay. Because it wasn't like... Diotrephes. It was like something 
like about a god too in it. Either you said it and I wasn't paying attention or I said it and I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Both seem right. Uh, so his name comes from the Hebrew word meaning to conceal, hide, or treasure, uh, which is used in the Old Testament in reference to God's treasured ones who he protects. And then another translation of the name can be the Lord hides or the person hidden or sheltered by the Lord. Yep. So again, you got Zephaniah. That Yah in there, mm-hmm. meaning to Yahweh. So that's where you get the Lord in his name, right? Yeah, hidden. And you look at that as far as why, what was hidden, what was God hiding mm-hmm. in Zephaniah, or how did God hide Zephaniah, and, and what was that? And it's interesting. Look at that. Did you look in any of that at all? I have a little bit. I think as we go through the um, go through it more, I, I think okay. I have it a little bit deeper in there. Cool. Did you go into any of the other names for all the other guys? I did. Well, not really into like their names, but like, uh, what was the first one? Kushai? Yeah. Kushai or Kushi is just kind of... Kushi, Kushi. Kush is one of the things that mm-hmm. you listed as far as one of the nations. Kush is Ethiopia. Right. And as far as a name meaning for his dad, there, as far as what I saw, there's not really a clear meaning, but it seemed like one of those, uh, what's the word? Ethnonym. Because it's ethnicity, right? Yeah. Coming in his name, but just kind of serving in that. Yeah, that's um, what I saw, that uh, the reference uh, to Kushi uh, could be that he was uh, darker colored, like darker skinned. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like if you look at um, Esau, mm-hmm. he got his name because he was red haired and it was like to be red or whatever it comes down to. So it's not like that's unfamiliar of the time or the place to like that you would name someone based off of a, a skin color. Yeah. And then you've got... Uh, Gedaliah, which is Yah has made great. Ooh. Yeah, so that was a uh, grandpa, great grandpa. Amariah is Yah has said. And then Hezekiah is Yah strengthens. Hmm. And then if you want to jump over to the other name in, in that verse, Josiah is the despair of Yah. There you go. Name. There we go. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, too, just uh, you said that there isn't another prophet as far as what was written, or like the books mm-hmm. named after a prophet. But in Jeremiah, uh, we have the following, and this is when Jehoiakim Kim burns the Jeremiah scrolls. Mm-hmm. So in, it's 36, verse 13. After Micah told them everything he had brought read to the people from the scrolls, all the officials sent for Jehudai, son of uh, another guy, son of Shilas, a bunch of guys, but eventually it's the son of Cushi as well. Okay. And uh, it says, and then they brought him the scrolls and all the other stuff that it says in that chapter about it. But it's uh, another prophet who has four generations that leads to Cushy as well. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And it just, what I read about this was that it kind of brings into question like uh, Zephaniah's ethnicity. Was he of African descent? Was he from Egypt or any of this or that? Um, and one person said that maybe um, one of the grandparents could have married someone from Egypt or had a uh, wife from Egypt, which then led to like just a darker skin complexion as it came down to his dad. Yeah, could be. But when you're looking at that, as far as like a question of maybe on that, I think that what this lineage brings out as far as unquestioningly is Hezekiah was a king. Yeah. So it's bringing out that Zephaniah is a prophet but he's one that's coming through the royal family. You know, mm-hmm. he is related going back to Hezekiah, which I think that it's cool. One is that the other people in his lineage, you wouldn't be known. They weren't other kings. It wasn't like, oh, king, 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 and then Zephaniah's a king. No, Zephaniah's coming as a prophet. But when you look at Hezekiah, 
Hezekiah was a pretty good king. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he was one of the better ones. And then it went to crap for the next two. Yeah. And then you get Josiah. Mm-hmm. So I just think that even there that Zephaniah's tie into um, the royal line is a tie into a pretty good king. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, and I think that as we look at it, his message maybe was more to Josiah. Mm. I, I know that the prophets normally would go and, you know, you go and you address the leaders. Um, I feel like Jeremiah went a lot to the people. Yeah. You know, but I've, so you, you said that they were contemporaries. So mm-hmm. as you have Zephaniah going to Josiah and the leadership and Jeremiah going out to the people and kind of having that deal. Yeah. Gene Rice actually does say that like there's some debate about it being Hez- King Hezekiah because it doesn't say king, you know. And uh, one of the things he said was uh, that the time between Hezekiah's lifetime and Zephaniah prophesying. So Hezekiah was 715 to 687 B.C. And Zephaniah was 630, about that time, prophesying, would have been too short for four generations to pass. Uh, so that's what he says, but that's easily like debunked once you look at the timelines of the people's lifespan. I literally just looked at it and I was like, well, if you gather that maybe they had kids when they were 18 yeah, so to let 20. Me break that down. <laughs> that's like uh, 20, 20, 20, 20. So if we lean towards uh, King Hezekiah uh, being his great, great, great grandfather? I don't think it's that many. Four? Four generations, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, the thought here is that Amariah may have been King Manasseh's older brother by a concubine. Mm. Um, so Amon was born was 22 years old when he became king. Manasseh died at age 67. So Amon was born to him at age 45. So that isn't that big of an age gap, right? So this really easily explains the generation gaps that the Rice had. Uh, Josiah was 39 when he died. Three months later, one of his sons took over at age 25, and that means Josiah would have been 14 when he had one of his sons. Amon was 16 when he became a father, and so it's just like this breakdown is like, it's very possible Mm -hmm. that they could have been the four generations to three generation gap, because I think that was his big thing, is very possible because of the fact that like people were having kids young later. And the lifespan of these kings during that time was not that long. Yeah. And when you look at that, I mean, even when you look at when would a Jewish person become a man mm-hmm. or a woman, so to speak, and enter into that? Yeah, you're, you're in there around 13. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when you're looking at Josiah, you said that he had his kid when he was 14. Mm-hmm. Josiah became king when he was eight. Yes. <laughs> so it's just like, 14 is way too early to have a kid. Like, Eight is way too early to he was like, king. He'd already been king for six <laughs> years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you brought it up. And uh, one of the reasons why, and I saw this being one of the big reasons why the tracing back to four generations is the view of King Hezekiah in mind. And that the zeal for the Reformation that he had, uh, again, being that message to Josiah, like, hey, look at this. We need to, to go back to do it do it that way and again that all varies when we get to it of like when he was prophesying was it before josiah started uh changing or was it after yeah or was he the catalyst to what josiah Mm -hmm. was doing uh one of the other things was uh, i like this warren wearsby he sums up seth and i like the whole book uh he said this is no ordinary preacher he is the great great grandson of king hezekiah one of judah's most famous rulers uh, he has royal blood in his veins, but more important, he has a message of God on his lips. 
Strange to say, Zephaniah preached during the reign of godly King Josiah as it was a time of religious revival. Josiah came to the throne at the age of 8, and at the age of 16, he committed himself to the Lord. When he was 20, he began the Great Reformation in the land, pulling down the idols and judge, judging false priests and prophets. He began to rebuild the temple and led the nation in celebration of the Passover. I'll go into this more when we get down there later. But Zephaniah saw deeper. He saw the hearts of the people, and he knew that the religious zeal was not sincere. And he keeps going on of just talking about that. The reason why Zephaniah came out when you're like, He's a prophet during one of the most religious times. Uh, it was that it, the, the change wasn't sincere in the hearts of the people. Okay, so on that point, I will say political party. You cannot <laughs> legislate <laughs> a godliness into people. Yeah. And I'm saying political party because if you think it's talking about you or if you think it's talking about the other one, I'm talking to you if you're, if you're overly political. I'm talking to you, right? It's just you can't put it into legislation and what that's exactly what you just said is you had josiah and he had the zeal and he started tearing down the altars and he was doing all that and there's like manasseh who was up there a couple well who was the guy in between you had amon amon was only king for two years so yeah. he didn't really get a chance to do too but much also evil yeah yeah but really it was manasseh so you had yeah. hezekiah was doing some good things and manasseh came and just set up all the stuff mm -hmm. like all the stuff. And he brought in uh, child sacrifice to Moloch. He set up all the altars. He did all the worship. He did like all the uh, fertility stuff going on. And wink, wink, you can understand what all that stuff means, right? So Josiah coming in and he's got the zeal. So he's tearing down those altars and he's getting rid of the worship and he's doing that. But from the legislative point, I think what you're saying about Zephaniah is right, that he could see that the hearts of the people haven't changed. And so I think that that's just a thing, a lesson to keep in mind for us in today's current. Just like, no, if we can just change the government, <laughs> yeah. like, then you'll have Zephaniah show up. I'm glad you brought him back up because it just, uh, I just saw it on my notes again that uh, Zephaniah's name, meaning Yahweh hides or protects, that uh, the name of God may be, or that name may be a reference to God's protection of Zephaniah in his childhood during his reign as king. Because mm -hmm. if he's also of Hezekiah royal descent and lineage, that he's being hidden away during that time so that way he could be used for Josiah as king. Kind of like a, uh, like a Moses type situation. Huh? Right, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy when you start looking at the Bible, all the parallels of stories that they just seem to like overlap, overlap, overlap. It's crazy. Question two, uh, when was Zephaniah a prophet? Did we not just answer that with all I those I think we dates? did answer some of it, but let's, we could go into it some more. <laughs> Maybe you clarify yeah. it more because yeah. I'm confused on what we just said. Yeah, we, I mean, we talked about... I'm confused about, on what we have said, not by what we said. Uh, we talked about that this is the time during King Josiah's reign. So that was 640 to 609. Uh, it's difficult, like I said earlier, to pinpoint exactly during which part of the reign uh, was he prophesying, whether it's before or after they found the Book of the Law. Uh, but in any case, the time gap is just so small, like... What did we say? It was like 30-something years he was king. Mm -hmm. So it's really just so small to really try to like pinpoint to exactly. Uh, what we do have that helps is Zechariah 2.13, and that's where he predicts the destruction of Nineveh. And then you have in 1.12, it look, it's looking at uh, what's happening there as something that has already happened, and that could be the destruction of Thebes. So we've covered both of those. <laughs> So you know how Zephaniah is the forgotten book? Mm -hmm. You just said that Zechariah 2.13. Did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
stolen Zechariah, Zephaniah 213. So yeah. Because we did that at a couple prophets ago to where Zechariah was saying some yeah. stuff. So I was like, oh, what does he have to say about it? And then you said it and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's from this book. Yeah. <laughs> it's so forgotten. We forgot what book. I forgot what book we're covering. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's where it's at. What it does really tell us, though, is that he grew up under the reign of Josiah's predecessors. And we've already covered that, that two of the most evil kings that Judah had um, which really, to me, Zephaniah, this prophet to be, would be surrounded by the all this idolatry, child sacrifice, unjust killing, and again, which is crazy that he grew up to be the man of God who was able to stand before the people and proclaim God's message. Mm-hmm. It, it, and then you even look at it that during this time you have Jeremiah, Nahum, and Habakkuk also prophesying that they also are standing up against all of this bad that's happening. Yeah, and when you look at that bad, you, you brought up there that it's hard to tell if it was before they found the Book of the Law. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've referenced that on episodes past, yeah. but just to kind of bring that up. So we talked about Josiah being eight when he became king because Ammon only lasted two years. So now you have <laughs> Josiah coming in when he's eight. And when you're eight, you're not old enough to be doing these things. So he's under the tutelage of Hilkiah right? Mm-hmm. And it's as he's growing, and as you just reminded me off air, is that Hilkiah is the one that went in and he found the book of the law. Mm-hmm. And he brought it to Josiah and Josiah said, hey, read this thing to me. And when it was read to him, he realized no wonder all of this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. No wonder the judgment. We haven't been doing any of this. And that's when the first Passover in a very long time took Since place. Samuel. Since Samuel. And you got to think about that, right? Uh, sorry to cut you off, but it, Samuel is David's time. This baffled me so much. This is uh, the first king. Yeah. This is Saul. This is David. This is Solomon. This is Hezekiah. All these great kings throughout their time, and then also all the evil ones. This is a long, long time before they had done the thing that they were supposed to do every year. I want to say it's around 400 ish years. Yeah. Give or take. And so you look at what's happening with their culture and what's going on. You forgot to follow what God told you to do. This, this is why there's all the stuff that's happening, the idolatry, the child sacrifices, the injustice. That, I think that's for the next episode. But yeah, it just yeah. that baffled me when I, when I read that, the time frame. Because I, I think we've talked about this before, uh, the, the celebration of the Passover and the gap between it. Mm-hmm. But I, it never clicked in my head that this was David. And then here you have Josiah, who's right. also like that, right? Coming in and bringing it back. And you just look at the timing of things, realizing that God is sovereign. And the fact of the law being founded this time, you have Josiah as the king, you have Zephaniah coming, and he's you know doing his prophet thing. And again, just God bringing this forward mm-hmm. because he's not willing that any should perish. God wants repentance. God is a merciful God. He desires to give out mercy to anybody who asks. The problem is people don't tend to ask. Yeah. Well, truly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned a few things in there, too, that I want to touch on. Uh, Josiah's reform was just tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, when I was looking into it, it was 16 when he began to seek God, and it was 20 when he began to purge Judah. And I I don't use the word purge just because I want to use it and sound cool. This is what's actually in the Bible. It says he purged Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Um, I think it's in 2 Kings. It has Josiah's reform then began at the temple itself, where he commanded the priests to bring all the idols of Baal, Asherah, 
and the foreign deities out of Yahweh's temple. Uh, the images were destroyed. I think I'm reading commentary on this. Um, <laughs> commentary note. I don't think that's the passage, but it's a good commentary on it. The images were destroyed because uh, <laughs> usually on my notes, I put the Bible verse after. But I think I just had it in quotes to reference that this is coming from that portion. Whenever you get into reading a thing, right. I always just try and concentrate on the word so I can respond to it. Yeah. So I wasn't even realizing that, <laughs> that wait, this isn't the Bible. The, yeah. I'm in the wrong book and not reading the Bible. Anyways, uh, so he they did all that, um, all the worship, the Canaanite idols, all the images, the altars, the sacred utensils, they were all destroyed. And like he just went in there and purged all this from them. And uh, then they go and find the book of the law. And this is what's cool, because when they, like you said, they found the book of the law, what a lot of people believe is that it's an early copy of the book of Deuteronomy Mm. that had been hidden. So you have like Athanasius and Jerome who believe this. Josephus thought it was the sacred books of Moses, um, which I think is the entire Pentateuch is what he was referencing to. Yeah, you. So, so. Uh, but uh, I've never heard them referred to as that way, yeah, but that would neither. be my assumption. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah. Uh, Philip Davis, he said that this would be the book of Deuteronomy rather than, say, like Leviticus or the Covenant Code or Exodus. The writer of the law book story wishes to make it clear that in the days of King Judah, the scroll of Deuteronomy, which had been lost temporarily, was recovered and used as the basis of the religious reform with the full authority of the Davidic, of the Davidic king, no less. So he's on board that it's that, that they found a copy of this. Um, and then I read that this may have been hidden or accidentally lost, because again, we're talking about these bad kings, and we're talking about Amon who was burning up scrolls and burning mm-hmm. up a lot of things, that uh, someone may have accidentally, and I'm throwing air quotes up so that no one else can see but you, uh, accidentally been lost. Yeah, boss, we got them all. Yeah. <laughs> we burned all of them up. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure, like, we got them all. And just like a mob boss, you're like, that sack's looking a little light. He's like, they're all in there, boss. <laughs> I swear it is. <laughs> uh, when we look at the name of Zephaniah again, this... Yeah, hidden. Yeah, I was hidden. thinking that same so thing. It's, it's pretty cool that it's like, it's tying these things over. And then we, we've already talked about that they celebrate the Passover. One thing, I did want to mention, just for the sheer fact that I'm going to mention it, is that the king... <laughs> I'm going to mention it? Why? Because I'm going to mention it. Because I want it. to. Uh, that the king sent a delegation to, is it Hulda, the prophetess? And she looked over the book. So they once they found the book of the law, mm-hmm. she looked over it, and she assured them that the curses were valid and that all the judgment written it were going to happen. So this does sound more like Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, you have the blessings right, right. if you do this and the curses. Uh, I'm only bringing it up because when people are like, women in church, here's a prophetess who was like, yeah, fools, you done messed up. We're, we're in trouble. Yeah, there's all kinds of examples of women yeah. throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament doing positive things. Great things. Uh, un- I would say probably <laughs> if you were to grab the ratio of women being mentioned and women doing good things mm-hmm. versus men being mentioned and men doing good things, women are probably going to have a better ratio. That's completely off the top of my head. I could be <laughs> entirely wrong, but just for my thinking is that yeah yeah I, I would i would agree with you there um unfortunately the effects of josiah's reform uh they did are not sh- shortened because he did not live long so yeah he went out to that battle and uh fell yeah i think to the egyptians yep yeah so it didn't last and uh that's where this this is the time frame so this is when zephaniah is prophesying question three you had something on josiah did you say it Oh, yeah. 
So just that thing of one, thank you for reminding me because it was the farthest thing from my mind. I completely forgot until I got to this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, Zephaniah having such a good handle on scripture with all those references, but then them not even having a copy of the book of the law. It's kind of tripping out my brain. Oh, yeah. You know, because just like, well, if, okay, then did he have the writings of, well, if it's the other prophets, that was closer mm-hmm. than like Deuteronomy and that happening. So if those words are getting recorded and getting passed down, you know, that would be within the past 150, 200 years, something like that going on. So like, I could see that those wouldn't have really been destroyed yet, but it was just tripping me out. They're like, man, there's so much like of the scripture reference. And I was sitting there thinking, didn't they not find some of that <laughs> like till his age? How would he be so learned in it? I don't have an answer yeah. to it. It was just That's something why that I came would think, to my mind. To me, it makes more sense that he was writing when it was found or after it was found. Yeah. And again, if you're looking at just the law being found, these other writings, you know, you could still have those. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard for them to deny. And it makes sense that a king to me would look at the book of Deuteronomy. I just finished it like a couple of days ago and it, out of all of the five books, mm-hmm. this is the one that like hits. This is the covenant contract. This is Moses basically going over and repeating. It's like three sermons by Moses, and he's like saying the things over and over again. But then he's also like, when you have a king, and yeah, they're supposed yada, to yada, read yada, it, yada. Yeah. Right? And this is the book that's supposed like, to be That's the read. one for the kings, mm-hmm. that the kings are supposed to be in that like, yeah. every day. So if you're, yeah. And it has the blessings and the, wool, and the curses. And it's like, yeah. oh, if, it, it's almost like, oh, here's all the bad things. I'm going to throw this away. So if I don't have it, then it's not there. Or if I'm not reading it, I don't have to be judged by it in a sense. It's kind of like what we do with our Bible sometimes. Oh, I was going to go back to politics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to the Bible. Yeah. Uh, so it, to me, it makes sense. And then once it comes out to light, it's like, oh man, look at all this richness in it. And, and again, a guy who seems to have known other scripture pretty well. And mm-hmm. yeah, the next question even gets into it more. Um, I definitely think that... He, that book made a big impact in him. And you can see that this book of the law made an impact in the nation. And it was just one book. Yeah. And to me, that's what's crazy. Because I, when I read this before studying, I've always assumed that when they said they found the book of the law, that it was like all the Bible was gone that they had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, hey, we found this ancient thing. And it was like, no, it was one scroll, probably like rolled up or something. Yeah, that was the same assumption and clarification that I got from this as well. Yeah. All right, I think that's a good spot to split this episode. So we'll split this episode and save the rest of the conversation for the next episode. So I'm Chris. I'm Yurdu. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening. Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai. Amen.